Today's interview is with a blog reader, Cindy, who was a student and survivor of the school shooting at Columbine High School in 1999. 20 years ago this week in Littleton, Colorado, the deadliest school shooting to date occurred at Columbine where two students opened fire and killed 12 students and one teacher and wounded more than 20 before the two shooters killed themselves. Cindy shares with me her story of what that day was like for her, how she was kept safe during this shooting, and the tender mercies she experienced on that day. She also talks about overcoming anger and resentment over the years and how she learned to always look for the good in the world. Okay, today I am here with Cindy, who's a reader, and I'm excited that this is the first time I get to interview a reader from the blog. So, hi, Cindy. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm really good. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, Good, thank Cindy, you. tell me a little bit about yourself. I don't even know that much about you yet. So tell me like where you live, what your family's like, what you're up to. All right. So I grew up in Littleton, Colorado, and I am one of six kids. And I lived in Colorado up until I was about 22. And then I moved to Utah. And I've lived here now um, for over 12 years, 13 years. I'm married and I have three little girls there. Um, Lila is nine and Phoebe is seven. And then I have a newborn, um, Ivy. She's almost three months old. And so I get, yeah, she's, she's been fun. So I love that you have a Lila too. I know. I, we were on the same page with that one, huh? That's so fun. Except so, nine, you were ahead of the game. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I know it wasn't that popular of a name back then, but I'm hearing it a lot more now. So, yeah, I think, I think it is getting a little bit more popular, but still not like it's still not on that like top list of the top twelve names that you hear everywhere. So exactly, so it's still good. But anyway, I get to stay home with my girls, and I enjoy doing that. And just you know, that's pretty much me. I just stay home and help at my girls' school, and then volunteer in church, and. Stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm excited to talk to you today. Today's topic is going to be a little bit more heavy. So um, we might even want to just warn moms that are listening who might have littles that this is maybe an episode to listen to when you're doing laundry and you have headphones on or something. I don't know. (laughs) So, So, Cindy, tell me about your so you grew up in Littleton Colorado yes and tell me again were you born and raised there or did you always live there I was born and raised there so okay and we are going to talk today about Columbine because it's this month is the 20 year anniversary is that right yep on April 20th it'll be 20 years since wow okay shooting at Columbine okay so you were a freshman is that correct Yes. Okay. So take me back to before that day happened, like what your life kind of looked like at the time, like what your interests were, what type of, you know, involvement you had at school, like just your memories of what life was like before then. So before then I was pretty carefree. Um, I didn't worry about a lot of things. I was just your typical 15 year old. I mean, that's how old I was when it happened. So right before then, um, I had just turned 15. I was having fun with my friends, um, just going to school. It was my first year of high school. I was enjoying my classes and getting to 
no new people. Um, so it was just your typical teenager. I didn't have a lot of cares. I have a good family life um, and things like that. And so I didn't have a job or anything, but it was mostly just your typical teenager hanging out with friends, hanging out at home, things like that. So. Okay. And then did you have any other, like, did you do any extracurricular stuff or? Um, I was in choir, but other than that, I didn't do any sports or anything like that. So I, I was in choir too. <laughs> okay. I yeah. I was also a choir nerd. So that's <laughs> yep, great. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much all that I was doing at the time. Cool. Okay. So April 20th. So you you guys are like more than halfway into the school year. In fact, kind of getting close to the end of the Towards school year the right? when this happened. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. So you kind of had like your routine, you had your friends, you had your schedule. Yes, definitely. Okay. I'm just trying to like paint a picture of like what this was like as far as, you know, leading up to. So right. I guess do you want to just walk us through, like, I'm sure you've, I know you've told this story many times. So do you want to kind of just walk us through what that was like and sure. what your memories are of that day? Yeah, definitely. So it was a Tuesday and it was just like any other day. Um, I still remember what I wore that day. I remember what I packed in my lunch. I had a Lunchable that I was really excited about eating for some reason. I went to the store the night before with my sister and I bought it. And for some reason, I was so excited to eat my Lunchable for lunch, um, which is kind of silly because I was 15. So, so I woke up that morning, um, drove to school with my sister. She was a junior at the time. She's two years older than I. So we were both at school that day and I went to my classes. I specifically remember science class, which is, I believe it was my fourth period class. And I was having fun with my friends. We were cracking jokes, kind of just having a lot of fun. I just remember there was a lot of laughter that hour. And then a couple of my friends from that class were in my next period class, which was fifth period. And that was PE. And that's when everything changed for me. So I went to my PE class and we met and after we changed into our PE clothes, we met in another classroom for my PE teacher to take roll call. And so I remember sitting there with my friends, just laughing, having a good time. And she took roll call and sent half of us to go outside. I think we were going to do softball or something. So the way the school set up, I was in that classroom and I walked out of the doors of that classroom and then there's kind of a long skinny hallway and so we walked out right outside the doors and right then we kind of heard some commotion and so I stopped and that's when I heard two gunshots and it was just two loud pow pow sounds and you know obviously it stopped us in our tracks I looked up the hall to my left and I saw what I know now is gun smoke it was just kind of billowing maybe 20 feet up the hall from me, um, but I wasn't sure what it was. And then in that same moment, a couple of classmates came running down the hall toward us and I can still see their faces when I closed my eyes because they just had looks of terror on their faces and they were yelling, they told us to run. Um, and still at that in that moment, we were so confused. We were like, what is going on? Like. In my mind, because I was so naive, I thought maybe that there was a fight in the gymnasium and that they were running to go see what was going on. Like that's 
even after I heard the gunshots, that was still my frame of mind was like, oh, it's just something simple. It's not a big deal. So then also my principal, Frank DeAngelis, he was running right behind those kids and he was telling us to run. So we turned to our right where there were two doors that led into the gym of the school. And so we ran through those doors and we were following our principal at that time. And he was leading us to the back of the gym where there's an equipment equipment closet. And so that's where they kept, you know, like basketballs and volleyball nets and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And so he ran to the door and unlocked it. And if I can tell a kind of a cool story about that, when the principal first heard that there were, you know, gunshots being fired at the school, he was in his office and he grabbed his keychain um, that has all the keys of the school on it. And so he had that with him when he ran to see what was going on. So when we were at the back of the gym and he was going to unlock the door, he told us this later that he had no idea what he was going to unlock that door. And he said that he was going to go through every key that it took to get us to safety. And the very first key that he tried to unlock the door with opened it. And so we were able to get into the closet quickly and get to safety because at that point he for all he knew he thought that we were being followed by whoever was shooting and so it just happened so quickly that he everything was going so fast that he was just you know doing what he could to get us to safety not looking back not knowing what was behind us thankfully whoever was shooting didn't follow us um they just kept going and that is a true um, tender mercy in my story that they didn't notice this hallway full of PE girls um, that were in PE. So so we got into the equipment closet and our principal came in with us for a few minutes and we were just still so confused. I mean, things like this didn't really happen. You don't think that there's someone shooting at your school. So we were in the class in the closet and um, at some point the fire alarm went off and it was so loud. Um, I just remember it was ringing in my ears and I was kind of huddled up with my arms around my knees, just starting to cry because at this point we could tell that something big was happening and we didn't know what was happening, but you know, you can just kind of feel when there's something not right and just everything so that led the up fire to alarm it. off. Is that what you said? The fire alarms are going off. I think, I believe because there were pipe bombs or something going off in the cafeteria in another part of the school. And so that set off the fire alarm, I believe. Um, So that was going on. Um, At that point, my principal kind of told us, I need to go check on the school. I need to see what's going on. And we were like, don't leave us. We don't want to be here by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that panic. We felt safe with him and him leaving was a scary thought. But he's like, no, I have to go see what's going on. So he's like, we'll come up with a password. And that way, when I come back, you'll know that it's me. Because I think we were afraid that someone bad was going to come in instead of him. And so we came up with like the most outrageous password (laughs) that is so random. I think it was like oranges in the newspaper or something like that. I can't remember quite now, but it was just totally random. And so he left for a few minutes. And I mean, we were a PE class of freshman girls all the way to senior girls. And there were even um, some foreign exchange students that were in our class. So it was a mix of all sorts of kids. Mm -hmm. And so we, a lot of us were crying and a lot of us were kind of 
some people were joking around, just not knowing what was happening. Um, so finally, our principal came back a few minutes later. He said the password. We let him in. And then he told us, okay, you need, we need to get out of here. We need to go. So he told us, I'm going to open the door and you're going to run um, out through the gym, through the back doors that would lead outside. And so we did that. And thankfully, I was in my tennis shoes because I was able to run really quickly and without falling or anything like that. So we ran out the back doors and I just remember running and running. And in my head, that's the first time I started to pray. And I was just praying in my mind. And I remember doing that, that everything was going to be okay. I also, as we were running, there were SWAT um, team members kind of behind trees. And because that by this time, you know, the police had been there. And I remember in my head thinking, are those the good guys? Are those the bad guys? I mean, I just didn't know. And all I could think of was I need to run. I need to get to safety. And so there's a huge park next to the school. It's called Clement Park. And it's just one of those beautiful parks that everyone goes to. It has baseball diamonds and open fields and it's just a beautiful park. And so as soon as we got to one of the parking lots, we stopped and we caught our breath and there were other kids there who had run from the school. And one of the first people I saw was one of my best friends at the time. And for me, that was a huge blessing to see someone that I had known my entire life and to know that she was okay. Mm-hmm. So then at that point, we were just kind of a big group of kids, what do we do? So we decided to start walking to the public library that is also next to the park. And I don't know how far of a walk it was. I want to say at least a mile from where I was to the library, but we just started walking and walking. And there's a big, busy nobody has a cell phone at no. this, in 1999. Oh, right? Never. Yeah, no, nobody did. So it was a totally different world back then I mean it's so different from when things like that happen now there was no communication you basically just knew what you knew from hearing and talking to people so we got to the public library and that was one of the places that they were sending kids to meet with their parents and it was kind of one of the safe zones I remember going in and they put us in a small room and the news was on and so we were right next to our school watching the news and seeing like all the ambulances and the police and all the speculation. Again, nobody really knew what was going on. So there was a lot of miscommunication and misinformation going on at the news. I mean, I think at that point they said something like there's over 20 casualties, um, but nobody knew. And so it was just so scary to see what was happening. Like, okay, so someone's shooting at our school. That's what this was all about. And so eventually a lot of other students and other parents started coming to the library. And I remember standing outside and I was in my gym clothes still, you know, just so random. Just how you were at that moment is how you stayed for a long time. So I was there with a random group of kids and parents. And again, no one had cell phones. I think there was maybe a handful of parents who did have cell phones and they were handing their phones out and letting everyone borrow them. But it was still taking forever and I remember trying to call my parents and I was just getting the voicemail because they were in and out of our house trying to find information on me and my sister Diana and it was just I was just going to ask you that did you have any other siblings at school yeah so I had my sister Diana was there and so right when I got to the library another 
something that I call a tender mercy was I ran into the brother of her best friend and he stopped me and he told me, I saw Diana, she's okay, she's safe. And that was something that I needed to know because I wasn't going to hear from my family for hours. And Mm -hmm. so to know that my sister was okay, that he had seen her in all the chaos was such a blessing for me. And so her story is completely different than mine, but she was safe and she was able to run home and let my mom know that she was okay. So eventually, I think it was at least three or four hours that we were trying to like get a hold of people and trying to contact our family. And I finally got a hold of my mom and it was the most amazing feeling for both of us, I think. Um, and I told her where I was and we live right by the school, like the neighborhood right across from the school. And usually it takes like two minutes to drive there. Well, I think mm-hmm. it took her over an hour to get to the school because of all the barricades and all the traffic and the police and just everything going on. So I had to wait even longer for her to get there. And she finally got there and she just ran to me and held me. And then that's when I kind of felt like I was safe, but it was also the beginning of, you know, a completely different life for me. Yeah. Wow. So (laughs) at this point, like when you got to the library, did people know what happened or was there still just there, it was pretty much mass confusion. I mean, okay. I think everyone had a story because there were people who ran from the cafeteria and people who ran from classrooms. And so everyone kind of had a different viewpoint of what was going on. And some people mm-hmm. knew that someone was shooting and some people were still confused and they didn't know what was going on. And so it was a mix of hearing those stories and then hearing what we heard on the news, which they didn't really know either. They were just kind of piecing it together as they got information from students. And so everyone, I think, was just, there was just chaos, basically. So I wasn't quite sure what was happening at that time, but I had a good idea. I knew that someone was shooting and that people had been shot and had been killed. And that's about the extent that I knew at that point. Wow. So what after that, you guys just went home and you were with your family? Yeah. So we went home, still had the news on for days because it was all over the place. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that our telephone was like ringing constantly. Our voicemail was like filled up because people were calling, checking on us, family from out of state. Mm Mm-hmm. My grandparents were actually visiting at the time, and that was my mom's parents, and so it was good to have them there. They knew that we were okay, and so that day, I can't remember exactly what happened when we went home. I think it was just just being together and just, I think I was in shock. We were all in shock. I had little siblings at like the middle school and the elementary school, and I had an older sister at college, and so it was just kind of a matter of like getting everyone together and making sure everyone was doing okay or as okay as we could. That night, our church held kind of a big meeting, I guess. I wouldn't call it a memorial, but we all gathered together and where we could just be together and just kind of have that support from all the kids that were at the school and our families. And they had um, some counselors on hand. But at that point, I think it was so soon that it was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to a counselor. I don't want to I don't want to talk. I just want to be, you know, it's hard to explain when you're in shock like that. It's like, you don't really know what's happening still. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we, 
my family went through something not at all the same, but just that, right. you know, my, that Neil's brother was killed a couple of months mm-hmm. ago. And yeah. when we went through that, the, the funeral director said, we really don't suggest people do therapy like immediately oh, because yeah. you're still in shock. Just like what you're saying. It's, it's mm-hmm. like a month or two after when things start to settle in. You when, know? Exactly. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So from there, like when did you guys start going back to school? What were the next few days or weeks like? So it was, I always describe it like I felt like I was in a cloud. I felt like I was in a dream. Everything just didn't seem real. Like I, I didn't have a lot of stimulation. I don't know. I just felt like I was going through the motions, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm trying to remember what things were like. I mean, we didn't have school for a couple weeks. And so that was hard. I was basically just at home with my family. I think I got together with friends at some point, but eventually, you know, we had a lot of contacts. We knew what was going on. I don't know if they were sending out emails or voicemails, but we knew like through the school, like what the process was about going back to school. Okay. So we ended up going to what we call our rival high school. It was Chatfield High School. You know, every school has their rival that they, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of butt heads with, um, but they so graciously opened up their school to us and they worked it out so that the Chatfield students would go to school in the morning and then we would go to school in the afternoon. So they would bus us out to this school every afternoon and we got home like right before dinner time, maybe like five Um, o'clock. Yeah, so it was was so weird. wondered like how do you go back to school after that how do you like what's the first day like how do you even walk back into the same traumatic place so how did you how did the community react to this like I I'm trying to imagine like going to the grocery store or just like having kids like that are supposed to be playing in sports or things that like how did the community even keep moving and have any type of normalcy after this so the community like really came together. It's actually really cool. I feel like one of the good things that came out of it was that everyone was so amazing and everyone came together. And I feel like there was just this, I don't know how to describe it, maybe like, not like a peaceful feeling, but there was, you could just tell that we were being watched over and that people were coming together. And Mm -hmm. there was a big memorial that was set up at Clement Park and there was like tons of like flowers and crosses and gifts and people would come there kind of just to comfort one another and to just be there and to show their respects. And so I think that brought a lot of people together as well. And people were just, I think, being nicer to each other. I think there really was a sense of bonding and people wanting to just be better. And I mean, I can only speak for myself and well, I know I, but I just really feel like people were just trying harder to be better, even in small ways, even if it was, you know, not getting mad at someone cutting you off on the street or, you know, holding doors yeah, open for people. I like, feel like that, they really bring you back to like what actually matters in life. Exactly. And I think a lot of people realized that while they were also grieving for this community and for these families, you know, there were 
over 20 kids who were injured. So there was like hundreds of people affected directly just by their children being in the hospital or their children were killed or this or that. And so I think we were also grieving so much, but there was so much goodness too. And people were looking out for each other and checking on one another. And I mean, just in our own family, we had people bringing us meals and stopping in and calling us and just trying to make sure that we were okay. Yeah, that's really, that's so kind. So how do you feel like, so tell me about, did you finish out the school year at this other school? And then kind of what did it look like from there? Right. So yeah, we finished um, school. I think it was less than a month um, of school by that point. I think it was, you know, April 20th is when it happened. We didn't have school for a few weeks. Um, So we finished out school there. I mean, as much school as you could call it. And then Mm -hmm. it was the summertime and it was, it was kind of hard. I mean, at that point, I was still really affected. And I was crying like every day. And I was thinking about it every day. And I remember, I would just sit up at night and just talk about it with my sister and my parents and my siblings. And we would just kind of rehash like everything that happened. And so I remember, over the summer, the school was closed. And at that point, everything that we left in the school that day was still in the school. And so my backpack, my lunch, you know, my clothes that I wore, everything was still there. And I think it was a couple months later that they finally, you know, were able to get things to a point where they could have kids come back to the school and pick up their belongings. And so that eventually happened sometime during the summer and I got my backpack back and it was really eerie to like see my papers from earlier in that day that had the date April 20th written on it mm-hmm. you know to see my clothes that I had worn to school that day because I was in my gym clothes when I left the school so that was kind of a big a big deal and they had everything bagged from our lockers and like black bags and so it was just kind of a surreal thing to have to go through and at that point I think I mean, it was still obviously on the forefront of everyone's mind and it was really heavy and we were still in shock and processing everything. And so again, just going through the motions of getting our stuff from the school. And so that was how the summer looked. And then they reopened the school for the following school year in August. And I went back to school and I graduated from Columbine and I went to school there the rest of my high school. Oh, wow. So what was that like going, like, what was the first day of school like going back to school there? Um, it was emotional. It, they, you know, made a big deal about it. They had lots of members of the community and our parents. They all kind of created this human chain around us. And as we walked in the doors that day, they surrounded us. And that was a great support. And they just wanted to show us that they had our backs and that we were there and that they were there for us. You know, at this point they kind of had blocked off the library of the school, which is where a lot of the killings had happened. And so they blocked it off with a row of lockers. So you couldn't go in it and you couldn't really tell that it was there. Um, They eventually knocked it out completely and made it a big atrium. So the library was above the cafeteria and they just made it this big ceiling. And so it's this beautiful atrium. But I don't think that was completed at that point. I can't remember exactly, but um, everything was, you know, it looked 
like aside from the library not being there anymore, it looked like my school. And looking back, I think I can't believe I went back to school. Like I just think that we yeah. that we just had so much support and there was just so much community and goodness going on that that's just what we were going to do we're going to go back and it was never a question for me like you know I know some students didn't go back and some teachers didn't go back and that's totally fine and that's what they needed to do Um, but for me I wanted to go back I wanted to you know take back my school kind of and be with my friends and I just can only say that I was probably and everyone else was probably surrounded by earthly and heavenly angels that were just there for us, helping us get through it, because I don't know how else I could have gone back looking back on it now. Wow. Tell me what you guys did as a family and as a community or even personally to heal. Like what were the things that you felt like helped that you remember? I mean, that's so, you were so young, like 15. Yeah. And I think it, it does help that I was younger, like where kids were resilient, but also it made me grow up really fast. And my innocence was stolen from me. And I always still kind of think of my life before Columbine and after Columbine. And that's just always how it's been ever since. Mm -hmm. That Because there was such a drastic change in like who I who I was and who I became and my sense of safety. And so I, I mean, it took a long time to feel like I was even healing. Those first years even were really hard. I mean, I was still in school and I will say I had a great high school experience after that. I had good friends that I had fun with and we supported each other and I have a lot of good memories And I think that's a blessing that I was able to, you know, kind of thrive in this circumstance. But I was also struggling a lot, too. Um, Like those first few years, there were, I would cry all the time and I was mad and I was angry. And I think for me, feeling those emotions, I needed to feel them because I needed to feel something. Because at that point, when you're like in shock and you're going through something like that, it's hard to even feel present. And so anger, sadness, depression, things like that made me feel. And so I kind of clung to those things. And I didn't want to even work on like healing or moving past those feelings. I wanted to feel those horrible feelings because it made it real to me and it validated what I went through. I feel like at some points, if I felt like I was happy or laughing, then that meant I was forgetting And I didn't want to forget. I wanted to just be in the moment and remember for whatever reason, just so I could feel those emotions. Yeah. How long do you feel like you were kind of in that place? Um, Probably for at least a year. Those feelings of just being in a fog and being confused. I mean, even to this day, I look back and I think, oh my gosh, like, I was at Columbine. I was in a school shooting like that is so bizarre. Um, it still doesn't feel real at sometimes. But I remember, um, I think it was that summer, I was driving in the car with my mom and there were a bunch of tourists outside the school taking pictures. And, you know, that was another thing that was really hard is there were lots of people that would come to the school and want to see it, you know, because it's this big attraction for a lot of people for whatever reason. And I remember I just started bawling my eyes out and I was like, why are they here? Don't they know that 
that's so hard for us to see people taking pictures at our school. And I was just a mess and falling apart. And, you know, things like that would trigger me like I could be having a good day, but mm-hmm. something like that would take me back. And my mom told me something that really stuck with me and something that I believe really helped in my healing. And she told me that she said, it's not always going to be this bad. Like, I know you're feeling these emotions right now, but I promise you it will get better and that you won't always feel this way. And I told her, you're wrong. Like, I'm always going to cry. Like, I'm always going to think about it. It's always going to be like this. Like, how could it not be? And so I didn't believe her. But I'm like here to say 20 years later, even sooner than 20 years, like it does get better. And it's not always going to be as hard as it is in the moment that you're living in right then. And time heals. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't say that you move on or that you forget or that you're over it. Like you're never over it. It just kind of changes your perspective. It just changes your new normal and you're able to have a new normal kind of, and you're able to live your life. And it's not always as hard as it was in the moment. And like I said, time is such a blessing and I'm so grateful for time because it really does help heal or soften those wounds and kind of turn them into scars. Like, you know, they're there and they've shaped you into who you are, but it's not as an open wound as it was at the beginning. Wow. So moving on from, so you graduated from Columbine high school and then I'm curious to know what that was like once you moved away from the community where it was like everybody kind of knew. They all went through it together. You all kind of, you know, I'm trying to picture what that would have been like. Did you go to college after that? So I did. I went to Utah State University for one year. Um, Okay. And so I went to college and I didn't want to go at all. I wanted to stay with my friends. I wanted to stay where I felt safe. Um, mm-hmm. But looking back, I'm grateful because it was good for me to kind of get out of my head kind of and out of my routine. And I made some great friends in college, but it was really hard too, because people found out where you were. And at that point, when people heard Littleton, Colorado, they still thought Columbine, like mm-hmm. right away. Now, not so much, but then people would be like, oh my gosh, isn't that where that school was? yes. And were you there? Yes, I was there. And, you know, then this questions start coming. And so I was quickly known as the girl who went to Columbine and people were always wanting to like hear my story and kind of know what that was like. And so for me, talking about it has always been a help and it's always been healing for me. For other people, maybe not. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to bring it up. But for me, that also helped me heal because I needed it helped me process it I think the more I talked about it so going to college that year it was it was good and it was also hard because I would see my friends back home and they were still together and then um, the first anniversary you know it was hard to not be there and stuff so or it wasn't the first one I think at that point it was like the fourth year. Or but something. that was the first year you were away. From my home. first year that I was away from home. And I remember mm-hmm. I regressed and I went back to that moment and I was really sad and crying again, because I didn't know how to process those emotions. And I just felt like if I can't be there, then I'm going to be sad and I'm going to cry and I'm going to feel everything that I can. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of years, that's how I would be on the anniversary. And that's, I would fall back into this 
trap of anger and sadness and resentment. So let's talk about that for a minute, the anger and resentment part. Mm-hmm. Um, what has what has this taught you about those things and and what's been your journey with with anger and resentment? So like I said, I was really upset and mad and angry and confused and a lot of that at the beginning and for the first several years. And I just was mad and I was mad that my innocence was taken away and I was mad that I was having nightmares and I was sad that I was having this PTSD, although I didn't know at the time that, you know, what I was experiencing was, you know, along those lines. But over time, you know, like I said, time really does heal and really does help. And so as as I kind of grew up and as I eventually met my husband and got married and had my children and got kind of involved in my grown-up life, I guess, mm-hmm. um, I realized that those feelings weren't there as much anymore. And as I processed what I'd been through, as I kind of realized that that wasn't helping me to hold on to that anger and you know I could use all these emotions and kind of funnel it in anger and being in an uproar all the time or I could use it to kind of put it my passions in other directions so I could focus more on like the good that came out of it and focus on forgiveness and focus on how it shaped me to be more compassionate and more understanding and you know kind of more more positive attributes and Mm -hmm. so because these things do just make I I mean I've never been through anything even remotely like this but I would imagine that this has given you such a unique sense of compassion for people who I mean probably for anyone who goes through anything hard. Yeah, I mean I'd like to think so. I mean like like you haven't gone through this but you've also gone through something really hard with your family and lots of people go through tragedies and I feel like it, even though they're all different, I mean, pain is pain and um, sadness is sadness, even if it's from different outlets and different life experiences. And I, I feel like I can just kind of be more in tune to those things and kind of more aware of people who might be going through something hard and more sympathetic and empathetic of those situations. And mm-hmm. a few years ago, I was kind of reflecting on everything and I was asking myself like have I forgiven like have I found forgiveness through this process and it's kind of hard to say I've I found forgiveness you know because it's scary because you don't want people to judge you you don't want people to be like oh you forgive and it's more that my forgiveness has set me free and it has Mm -hmm. helped me to be happier and to let go of those, you know, those horrible feelings and the all of those things associated with holding on to anger and resentment and hate. And for me, right. forgiveness looks like letting go of those feelings and replacing it with, you know, faith and compassion towards others and helping others. And I heard a quote and I wish I could remember it completely, but it was something along the lines that when you forgive, it doesn't mean that you're condoning the action or that you're giving someone a past. It's more for yourself and you're not letting yourself be a victim again. And so that really Mm -hmm. resonated with me. And once I kind of heard that and thought about it, I realized 
that that's what my path to forgiveness look like. I'm not saying that any of it's okay or that I don't think that what happened was wrong because I absolutely do, but I'm not allowing myself to be a victim. I'm not allowing myself to, um, for my life not to thrive because of it. And I'm going to do the best I can to move forward and have a good life and help others and focus on the good instead of the bad. Yeah. Wow. So what, if someone was listening to this and they've gone through anything where they feel like they've been hurt or they've, you know, they're holding on to resentment, like, how did you get there? What do you, what advice would you give to someone who, who knows they need to forgive or let go of resentment, but they have no idea where to start? Um, That's a good question. So again, I would tell them like, give it some time, really think about what has happened to you and think, look at yourself and how you're feeling. If this anger and not forgiving, or you're going through something hard or someone's really hurt you, is it making you a better person or is it bogging you down? Is it, is it kind of like consuming your life? Are you not thriving because of it? And then I would kind of go from there and say, do you want to feel that way? And how can you let go of those feelings? And some of those feelings are just realizing that you can forgive without letting that person get a pass you know like you can still forgive and not say that what they did is okay but it's more for you to let go and for me personally you know I'm I have a strong belief in God and so prayer has really helped me and just praying that my heart could be softened and that I can kind of see the good in situations so I would just say you know to think of how you want your life to be and who you want to be and realize is it easier to let go of that or is it I mean obviously it's going to be harder to hold on to those negative feelings and all of that anger because it takes so much energy but when you kind of just let it go and realize that it's still a part of your life you're not letting it go forever but you can still move forward then I think that's when the forgiveness and the healing can take place right you're not letting it control you anymore exactly yeah yeah that's beautiful So tell me what people did that helped you, like during that time or after that time or even now, like what's helpful to you? What's healing? Um, So now, I mean, I am surrounded by people who weren't there. You know, I live in a different state now. And over time, I have kind of this new village of people that help me and who know what I've been through. And so for me, whenever there is another school shooting or something along those lines, I get text messages from all sorts of people checking on me and they just say, Hey, I just wanted to check on you. I know that this is happening. I wanted to make sure you're okay. And that means the world to me. It just, I mean, not saying that those other tragedies are about me, but it does trigger a lot of things and it brings it back and it puts me kind of back in my 15 year old self and it's hard for me to process. I feel like that I'm there again. And so to have people kind of go out of their way to check on me and just a simple text message or, you know, every year around the 20th, sometimes people again, text me or they just ask me like, how are you doing? And that for me at this point, like that's what I need. And that has helped me over the years to know that people haven't forgotten and that 
they do realize that it is hard for me and that it's not just another day and that I do experience triggers and just checking on me and kind of being aware of situations like that, that I might, that might take me back. Like they protect me. And I think that is a huge blessing and something I'm so grateful that people without overly like talking about it or like getting in my face about it, they just kind of say, you know, I'm here. I know that you might be having a hard day. I just want you to know I'm thinking of you. And yeah, that, people are like mindful and thoughtful. Of, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really sweet. Okay. So what do you feel like is your greatest hope as far as what people can gain from your story or like, what do you want to teach your kids? Like what, you know, what lessons do you feel like are, yeah. are the biggest takeaways for you? There are so many. I think one of them is to always look for the good and mm-hmm. to realize that bad things are going to happen, but you can come out of it on top and that you can be strong and you can be brave and you can be a helper and you can just have a faith that everything is going to be okay at some point. And it might be different than what you thought, but I just, you know, something I want to tell my, that I will tell my kids and as they get older and we talk about it more is just that, you know, there are good people in the world and sometimes bad things happen, but you can't Mm -hmm. let that stop you from living your life. And I am guilty of, you know, kind of, not living my life to the way that I want because I am kind of scared and I do still, you know, have those triggers and that PTSD, but I'm trying to learn and I've come a long way in realizing that people are good. And if you focus on that, it can make such a difference in your healing and um, in your forgiveness process. And I think just focusing on that and realizing that the little things don't matter and you know, we may not all agree on everything in this world or this life, but at the root of it, people are good and people want to help and people want to be there for you and for others. And I think letting people help you and serving others is also a huge thing that I've learned from this is that if you're having a rough day or things are hard, the best thing to do is to serve someone or to Mm -hmm. look outside of yourself Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would have learned all these lessons if that hadn't happened, maybe in other ways. But I know that from what I went through, it really has shaped me into how I process things and how I do things and why I do some of the things that I do. And hopefully a lot of it's for the good. And I just kind of look for, the, I guess, the tender mercies and the miracles and the things that the good that have come out of it. Wow. Well, this was just really such a gift, Cindy, for you to share this experience with us and share all of this wisdom. I mean, really, I, I've, I've learned a lot from just listening to your story today and um, a lot of lessons that I feel like are directly applicable to my life right now and, and things that we're going through as a family. So, um, and I love what you said about, you know, not letting like the evil or the bad things in the world stop you and thinking that, you know, everything or everyone is evil or out to get you, that there's still so much good in the world. I really believe that so strongly too. Um, And I have just really, really enjoyed and appreciated your 
um, sharing those tender mercies too, because I'm a big believer in those and looking for, you know, if we open our eyes up, we can see God everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. We're, if we're just looking for him and, and I just feel like how beautiful it is that you can look at something so horrible as the Columbine shooting and yet still find those tender mercies, like the first key that the principal yeah. tried, you know, unlocking that closet and having someone tell you like, Hey, I saw your sister. She's okay. You know, finding those things amongst something really horrible and tragic, that's such a gift for you to share that with us. So thank you so much Oh yes, for this. And then just lastly, is there anything that like you feel like people can do to just help? I don't know. Is there anything that people can do to help or are there still things that people are doing with, with Columbine or with other children or families that? could be affected by something like this? So uh, I know on Facebook, there are several like support groups and uh, run by Columbine survivors um, Mm -hmm. that are available that if you've gone through like a school shooting or something like that, you can go to it. And there is like a whole um, network of people. It's called the Rebels Project. And so Mm -hmm. you could look that up on Facebook and they um, are there supporting people who have gone through similar things like that. I think just if anyone who's maybe gone through a school shooting or something like that, or it doesn't even have to be that. I would just say to people who want to support those people is to also just let them grieve and Mm -hmm. to let that don't tell them to get over it. Don't tell them, Oh, you're fine. And to just Mm -hmm. let them do what they have to do and just support them in positive ways and be um, just kind of be aware of them. And so I think that could be helpful to anyone who might need support yeah. in this way as well. So Yeah, I've heard that a lot in this past year is just, you know, let people grieve. Everyone grieves differently. There's no right way or wrong way. And, it, you know, we all do things differently. So and it's, mm-hmm. as long as it's not destructive or you know going down a wrong path you want to watch out for that but I think everyone internalizes things differently too and it's important to remember that right okay well I just really really appreciate you sharing all of this and being so open and and I know that this is really going to help a lot of people who listen so thank you so much Cindy for being here today well thank you for the opportunity and allowing me to share my story I'm very grateful Well, I'm grateful for you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.